EMS World Expo is the largest EMS dedicated event in the world, and it's taking you places. And now we bring you stories from Expo. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the EMS Garage and the EMS World Expo Stories from Expo 2019. I'm Chris Monterey, your host, and today I'm joined by two doctors. It's a little weird, but we'll let them talk about themselves here in a minute. Dr. David Wampler, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. And Dr. David Miramonti. Thanks for having me. Is that right? That's right, Miramontis. All right, got it. Um, first off, great keynote the other day, and just your your story, amazing. I mean, I absolutely amazing. So thank you for doing that. But that's not why we're here. We're going to talk about something that you guys do inside of research in your organization, correct? Yes. We work very hard. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, I mean, you're an MD, you're a PhD. Tell me how that relationship works first. Yeah, so we have at the University of Texas Health Science Center, UT Health, we are the, uh, our office of the medical director provides medical direction, initial education, continuing education, quality assurance for the San Antonio Fire Department. So we really have a, a great setup. We do medicine research and teaching, and fire department does all the operational stuff and discipline and all that stuff. Right. So we really have the best of the whole EMS system. Well, and they won the award for the paid service of the year this year, too, which was yeah. pretty awesome. That's so pretty we, awesome. We don't use the term they. It's they. all we. We, we, we. Well, they, you. Yeah. I mean, That's the whole them. point of what makes our program successful is we're a really great team. Nice. So we combine the fire department's operational resources, universities' resources. We make one hell of an EMS system. That's awesome. That's awesome. Doc, so tell me a little bit about research and what you guys are doing that's really unique in San Antonio. So I am the director of clinical research for the San Antonio Fire Department. That's cool. To my knowledge, we're the only fire department with a dedicated research staff. Wow. Um, the, only, the only one that I know of in the United States, probably the world. Wow. But we do research on, on, on several different levels. We do clinical research, we do educational research. Um, and uh, we do qualitative, quantitative. We, we have a, a very, um, I call it a fairly promiscuous um, um, uh, plan. And we, we, we work with a lot of collaborators, uh, both the military, because we're San Antonio, right? Military City USA. We have um, other, other uh, rural providers that uh, come in and partner with us. We, we do a lot of. Um, like I said, a lot, a lot of clinical research and a lot of uh, operational research as well. Well, wow. so how did how did that marriage happen? Where you guys were like, well, let's do some research. How did wh what was the brainchild behind that? So we actually have even more than just our military collaboration. We have a region that works together very well. So uh, 22 counties, the military, fire department, a very collegial environment with the hospitals. Wow. It just brings this great place, this perfect mix. And we started things like product evaluation. Right. You know, we have this new widget, let's try it out. Wow. And then we started getting into grants and um, all of our EMS fellows. So we have eight EMS fellows now. Holy cow. Yeah, eight. That's amazing. And again, it's a combined military civilian partnership. Right. They've got to do research. Right. So it was a really great 
coming together of all these forces of good. And that's how we are able to pull it off. So who's, where are you guys publishing? Are you guys publishing in annals or your hospital medicine? Where are you everywhere. guys publishing? You're doing everywhere. it everywhere. Resuscitation. Yeah. We just had a paper come out resuscitation. Pre-hospital emergency care. Wow. Annals. Um, we submitted to JAMA. We didn't get into JAMA, but, um, you know, it's, uh, my philosophy is if you get into your first journal, you didn't shoot high enough. So. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, what are some of the groundbreaking things you guys are doing as far as research? What, you know, tell me, give me some ideas of, you know. So I think the biggest one that we've done recently is our C-spine mobilization uh, work. So I'll let Dave talk about that. Okay. So we started off trying to, the, the original idea is we wanted to build a better backboard because we knew that the smooth, slippery surface that we currently put patients that we don't want to move is not very effective. Um, as it turns out, we already have a pretty good spinal mobilization device, and our paramedics and our EMTs are already experts at using it. They use it on every patient. It's called a stretcher. Yeah, uh, nice. We can put a patient on a stretcher with a seat collar and head blocks uh, strapped directly to that stretcher, and that patient doesn't move. And they're comfortable. And they're <laughs> comfortable, and with no spine board to inhibit that, you can now elevate the head of the bed it makes the patient more comfortable, and our data shows that that patient is even less mobile when they're sitting up a little bit. So imagine having a patient both spinally motion restricted and comfortable at the same time. That's awesome. Well, and I think some of the research has also shown that you can quickly get to decubitus quickly by laying on a hard surface for, I mean, it could start in an hour. I mean, even as little as that. And, uh, I've been on a spine board. They're not fun. And I've laid on one for three hours while they were trying to figure out if they're going to x-ray me or whatever. But So it's it's annoying. So so they're not fun. No. They're annoying. Right. And they don't work. Oh, they don't work. Amazing. Well, so have you guys changed your practice because of it? We have. Nice. We sure have. So we now don't use backboards. Wow. In the majority of our care, we use the stretcher, head blocks. So the biggest challenge wasn't our medics. The dogs. The <laughs> so you think about all the trauma nurses, all the trauma doctors, all the emergency room physicians. They were trained on this stupid slip and slide backboard. That's what they were told it, right. the best practice. Right. And now Dave and Dave come along and say, no, nah, that's not a good idea. <laughs> so actually it was the hospitals that was our biggest problem. Right. Wow. So, uh, so you guys have conquered backboarding. What's next? What's, what's the next thing you guys are So, um, Dave started this great project with our cardiac arrest registry. So we have our own IRB-approved cardiac arrest registry. And now our fellows can publish all kinds of stuff out of Really? Wow. Oh, it's tremendous. So were you using CARES before and now you're using a different one? So we have, we use CARES, but we use our registry with many more data points. Right. And every cardiac arrest patient, after they're done coming in service, the crew was interviewed by one of our staff. Wow. So that led us to the real truth about what happened at that cardiac arrest and not what's documented. Right. Well, yeah, there's always what what I have time to write on the report and the the verboseness of what it actually looked like. That's interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah, it was very enlightening to find out what really was happening by talking to the crews. Wow. So are you guys going to change practice because of it in cardiac arrest? So we already have. So what are you doing? So we're doing, we're doing double sequential defibrillation. Okay. Even though our research showed that it really didn't help much. Well, why would you do it then? We're going to push it forward. Okay. Unfortunately, in most patients, it doesn't work. 
right. but there's a select group of patients that it does. So we're thinking by changing our bundle of care, again, bundle of care. Right. It's not just that one thing. I think we're going to see some differences in moving it up earlier in the process is our next step. Have you guys um, done any research around the all of the myriad of devices that do compressions, things like that? <laughs> we, we have. Okay. Um, we just we just published a, uh, a article in pre-hospital emergency care that looked at the neurologic outcomes with our with our Lucas device, and what it showed was that it was no different. Now, while no different say, than no different than high quality manual compression. Okay. While some people say that's a neutral study, I disagree because having this device on the scene is a number one it's a force multiplier right it makes our crews safer when they're transporting yep it makes our crews happier because they are not so engaged in having to maintain high quality chest compression right. the device already does it right. they just there's have no to, fatigue there's, yeah. there's no fatigue and it's you have this cognitive and mental offloading because nice. you have one critically important component of resuscitation taken care of all right. you have to do is have somebody watch it to make sure it's in the right place and nobody turns the stupid thing off. Smart. So now they're able to do things like consider the differential diagnosis. Yeah, right. Why did they call right. it? Right. They start, so when they call the medical director on call, they're thinking, hey, I think this is a PE or I think this is from their renal failure. Right. And so we've seen a switch in their brain comes on because their hands are turned off. That's awesome. Wow. That. That's very telling, and I think I'm sure that the the device manufacturers would be like, "Well, it does improve it," but but I like your I like your your what you guys have come up with, which is it's okay to be just as good as, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it would be bad if it were worse, so right. So and the patients that survive, they're not going to need the Lucas for transport. Right, right. Those are the patients you intervene early, the first shock, airway management, and you get ROSC. Those are the patients who are going to survive. So it's really a different set of patients that we're talking about. Have you guys um, contemplated doing uh, Lucas to the cath lab, and then, and then, if you if you suspect a STEMI? So I'm glad you asked. Oh, sorry. I, no, that's good. That was a good. That's a, good a great turnover right. during our transition. We do ECMO CPR. Wow. So if we have a patient that's under 70 who meets criteria. They call the medical director on call, and boom, we're bypassing all the hospitals. We're bypassing the emergency room. We're going right to the cath lab, and they get cannulated. After they get cannulated for ECMO, we do a timeout, look at the ISTAT numbers, get her, you know, ask a couple of questions, and we decide whether they're going to go on pump or not. And if they go on pump, now we have time with a patient under CPR who's in VFEV or VTAC to do the intervention, which is angioplasty. Right, which is, right. And this program wouldn't be possible without automated chest compression device because right. everybody knows when you're transporting a patient, they're not doing good chest no, compressions. exactly. You just can't do it safely. That's, that's a great point. Also, with the Lucas on board, the cardiologists are really not keen on doing a heart cath to get to the site because the Lucas device is right there on top right. of it. So we use Lucas to transition to ECMO, and they have time. Good. We have all the time in the world once they're in ECMO. 
Right. Because they don't need a heart right now. The ECMO machine is providing blood flow and oxygenation. So we have time to now do the intervention. Wow. Well, you guys are doing some pretty incredible work. I mean, I, I look back to when I started in EMS, and this is what you guys are doing is light years ahead of where we ever thought we could be. And I think that's very, um, that's, it's innovative in and of itself because without research, we're not going to get any better and we're not going to get rid of the stupid things we did backwards and move ahead to things we should be doing, which is really changing people's lives. Yeah, keep your eyes peeled because we got a couple other projects that we haven't written about yet. Nice. So behavioral health navigation. Nice. We don't take psych patients to the ER anymore. The police officers take them to psychiatric hospitals. Nice. We have an elegant system in place to do that. So but we will be writing that up. And then Dave, tell them about our blood project. So this is probably one of the most exciting things that we've done is... It's not under embargo, is it? So we should be okay? No. Okay, no in okay, fact, okay. We, we, we've talked about it extensively. Um, very much. I mean, we have, had, we have reached out to every stakeholder in this area, this space that we could, we could conceivably think of. Right. Um, that includes like our OB uh, partners for uh, the, the potential pregnancy issues. Um, our trauma surgeons are leading this, this effort. Our uh, deputy medical director, Dr. C.J. Winkler, has established him clearly, has established himself as the global expert on free hospital whole blood. Um, our EMS partners, they are, they are the ones that are doing all the real work of it and, uh, and saving lives. We, we have um, six supervisor vehicles in San Antonio Fire Department that have whole blood. We have two or more uh, of, our, of our special operations and some of our other ground units that are carrying whole blood. Um, and our air medical providers and for our region are carrying whole blood. And more recently, we've had several of the other smaller agencies um, are now carrying whole blood as well. So these are, I think those are probably just as important because they're coming from farther out. Right. That's where I think we're going to be able to show a, a much bigger difference um, because those patients are getting blood a lot sooner because right. of, the, of the distance so that they're having to travel to get to the trauma centers. But wait, there's more. <laughs> so there's some TXA in there somewhere too. Oh, we already used TXA. Okay. Yes. So the next um, part phase of our process, now that we know we can give whole blood, is we're putting whole blood in rural level four or critical access hospitals. So those patients, before they get flown, are getting whole blood. But wait, there's more. <laughs> we just established the mass casualty blood program. We can put 20 units of blood, warmers, and personnel to run them, put them in an airplane, and get them anywhere in Texas within two and a half hours. Wow. So we're now the, the second tier responder to mass casualty. Cool. Where we're bringing blood expertise and the equipment so that we can continue to resuscitate patients who've made it to the hospitals. Wow. Oh, but wait. There's more. More. Of course there's more. Wait. Sounds like a Apple unveiling. Anyway. They're also, uh, so speaking of high technology, drones are another yep. very enticing realm to where we can have a drone parked at our blood bank if we have a need where there is no available supply load some blood up onto a drone and deliver it to the, to the area of the need. So did you guys is, see the Nigerian project where they did 
the drone um, where they would they had they would launch the drone from the from the blood bank to the hospital and they would deliver it within feet of accuracy with a parachute something like that that it's enti- it's intriguing that you say that because it, I think that's they're, they're doing it in Africa why can't we do it here so so this is this is this is a little bit Star Trek it's in right. the future, but it's. I think it's something that is very, very doable. Drone cool. technology has improved so much yep. in the last few years that this is a this is a very uh, viable project. Nice. Yeah, they probably have to be licensed pilots and running the drones. Wow. Not right. Exactly. Stuff, so. That makes sense. Well, thank. Well, thank you guys. So, where can people find out information about UT Health and what you got the work you're doing? So we do have a website at UT Health. Google UT Health. Emergency Health Sciences. Majority of the work we try and do is collaborators regionally. So if you want to learn about blood, behavioral navigation, or any of these other projects, go to strac.org. S-T-R-A-C.org. STRAC. That stands for the Southwest Texas Advisory, Regional Advisory Council. And that's where we try and collaborate together. Nice. Well, thank you guys. Where can people find out, where can people get a hold of you guys? Google our names, and we're both at UT Health, San Antonio. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Docs. I, I, this was very compelling. What you guys are doing is really amazing. So thank you, guys, very much. Thank you. Very much. Thank you. And thank you for watching this episode of Stories from EMS World Expo 2019. I'm Chris Montero, your host, and I'm also the host of EMS Garage. Keep watching this channel for more great content.